Hello, Spartan fans. Hope you're doing well. It's time for episode eight of the Bigsby Spartan Stadium podcast. Our wonderful guest this time is boys basketball head coach Lance Kite. The pot is fed by Doc's Country Mart. Courtney Brown, tell us what's going on at the store. The store, Sean, you know we've been here since 1946. The community has been a big, huge part of everything we do. Not to mention the community, but the school. The school system is is one of a kind. They're an excellent school system. They have excellent leadership, and now they have excellent coaches, and you just can't beat that. And with everything that happens here in Bigsby, we just love to be a part of it. And, Sean, I think if if customers want to know about us, go to docs, D-O-C-S, F-O-O-D-S dot com. You can see all 12 of our locations. Bigsby one, of course, is, is, our, is our hometown, but that's a good one to go to and get our new app and uh, find out all about us. Okay, Coach Kite, we, we like to find interesting tidbits about the Big Speed Spartan Stadium Podcast guests that we talk to. And for you, it's that you were a phenomenal high jumper back in your high school days and on into college, 6'10 and a half back in 1994. I'm not big in terms of, you know, the numbers with track and field, but how does that rank? Oh, it was it was a good jump back there. It's still a good jump today. Uh, I I started high jumping at about the age of six or seven. My dad was track coach at Owasso, and and I, I always had some pretty good athleticism, but learned the form. Um, qualified for state four years in a row at Owasso. Was a four time regional champion there, state runner up in '92, uh, and. Uh, Went on to Coffeyville Community College, qualified for nationals in in '94 with that with that jump over six foot ten. Uh, really was hoping could maybe take it, you know, and and not necessarily make money, but uh, be be a professional high jumper uh, over seven foot. Had some Achilles issues um, after I'd left junior college and was never able to quite get over that seven foot mark. But uh, I, I was I was pretty solid high jumper back in the day. Was that just mainly the influence of your late father, Jimmy Kite, because of him being a, a track coach? How do you how do you get into track and field? You know, being around it, like I said, my dad, uh, I think he took over as a head track coach at Owasso in 76 or 77. So as a little kid, I was being drugged to track meets. And dad always wanted me to be a distance runner. The problem was I didn't like running the mile or the 800, any of that. And I was six foot Who six. doing that? 180 pounds. And, and, you know, he thought them long legs would stride out. And uh, I just, I started uh, doing the field events and, and was a pretty good long jumper. But the, the high jump uh, just, it really intrigued me. I, uh, I studied it. Uh, I trained for it, um, even outside of the other sports that I played. And um, like I said, it, it turned into a natural event for me. I would guess no Fosbury flops. You're going your back over the bar, right? We used to uh, – it's funny. We used to do the old Fosbury flops. I think I got over six foot a few times on it. Uh, and those guys were jumping in sand pits, which is just crazy to me. Uh, but, no, we were we were doing the more traditional jump that they do now. And uh, I was always a one-footed jumper on the court, and it just naturally – uh, translated into the high jump for me were you routinely beating folks or were there guys beating you and and what were their numbers 
seven feet or higher in you know, Oklahoma? I, uh, I want, I've got a lot of gold medals still at home from about 90 to 92. I, I wasn't beating a whole lot in the high jump uh, around eastern Oklahoma. There was there was a couple kids in Oklahoma City when we'd go to more to some big meets, and I, I may get second or third. Um, there was a uh, – there was a, well, he's a coach at Claremore now, Eric Wings at uh, Ulaga. Um, when we when we met up in competition, Eric could go over seven foot. Uh, he may have even held the state record for a short time. Uh, probably the best high jumper I've ever seen live in high school. Um, he he had some serious hops, but no, I, I got my fair share of gold medals in high school. Just having watched the Olympics over the years, like seven foot is that. Is that the benchmark, or you know, guys go higher? Most of the American jumpers that qualify for the uh, high jump, they're jumping seven two, seven three in that range. Um, I believe the uh, world champion uh, from last summer for the U.S. jumped seven foot six. Um, so to win it, you're going to have to jump seven foot six, seven foot eight. The world record's eight foot, which I can remember in college putting eight foot up and just looking at it and, and attempting it, and you'd about break the bar in half when you went up to jump at it. it it's astronomical. It's crazy. But but I'm still proud of the old six ten and a half, man. That was that was something that uh, I look back on now, she's 30 years later, and pretty good accomplishment. So that's a that's like tennis. I mean, you can have doubles in tennis, but it's a solo sport. Sure. And, you know, not – like basketball where you're part of a, a team and a, and a group and you're having to pull on the same strings to have success and have fun at it, I yep. guess. But wh- how did you draw enthusiasm and excitement from a solo sport like the high jump? You know, uh, I, I think track and field's a little bit underrated on the, on the amount of the crowd can get into it or your teammates or other teammates. When you see a guy or two guys in a competition, whether it be pole vault or high jump, and that bar is getting up there. A lot of times there's people clapping as you're getting ready to jump. And, and so the adrenaline starts flowing. It's like the, I love watching the Olympics. Uh, the hundred meters obviously is just off the charts. Usain Bolt gets in the blocks. And I mean, everybody in the stadium standing, but if you watch, uh, if you watch the finals of the high jump or the shot put or the pole vault in the Olympics, they get into it pretty good. So uh, it, it's pretty easy to get the adrenaline going. Now, if you're, if you're at a meet at, uh, at Catoosa, Oklahoma, and there's just, you know, six or eight people standing around, uh, you've got to be self-motivated. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, I think, I think that drive, my dad instilled that at, before I was a teenager. Yeah, I was going to ask you coaching Bixby boys basketball, how similar are you as a coach that you've had some time to be a head coach a long time, actually, uh, to what your, what your dad was when he was coaching football and and track assistant football. Yeah, uh, you know, just dad's influence on me, um, it, it shows up every day. I take, uh, my dad was a man of character. Um, I try to live by those standards. Uh, he was a player's coach. Even in the 70s and 80s and early 90s, obviously you coached a lot different than you coached today. Um, I don't think kids are less tough today. I think that society has changed, and you have to change with the times. Uh, there's not too many people coaching like they were in the 70s and 80s still today. Uh, but a lot of just the bring a hard work, blue-collar mentality to practice every day, that was my dad, and I carry that on every day with Bixby basketball. So who were other influences besides your father 
when it comes to your love of sports growing up? My grandfather was a big baseball guy. Um, I, I learned the love of baseball from him. Uh, and then just other coaches that, that I was around in high school. Coach Dees um, was my basketball coach at Owasso. Uh, coach Turner still a legend at Owasso in, uh, in baseball. Uh, coach Steve Holloman, who just recently passed away a few weeks ago. Uh, th- those guys just teach you. They were all men of and are men of integrity. Uh, and you, you learn things from uh, even as a 16, 17, year old from coaches like that uh, and, and you just try to carry it on did you know when you were growing up and even into high school and college that your path at some point would involve coaching young men I uh, I think about my junior year in high school I came home one night um, we'd had a, like a career fair or a college fair at Owasso and it was the first time I started really looking what do I want to do what am I going to be when I get out of high school and uh, I went home and told mom and dad I want to be a coach and uh, they frowned at me um, they weren't real happy exactly <laughs> there's no money you're going to listen to all kinds of complaints and I, that's what I wanted to do uh, once I got into college uh there was no doubt that's I had my eyes set on that um and they fully supported me afterwards um we we hear all the negatives about coaching and teaching today um yes that's out there but I wouldn't change my path one bit how long into your coaching career with the sport of basketball did it take you to develop a style as a head coach or a good rhythm, you know, in practices and translating to games and that, where you felt, yeah, I think I kind of know what I'm doing here. You know, uh, I was young and dumb in my 20s, like I think every coach is. I was ready to conquer the world and set it on fire. It, I took my head, first head coaching job at Locust Grove, Oklahoma in 2000, 2001, and um, I, I thought I was going to win a state championship there. You got to have some talent. And you got to have some experience on the sideline. Uh, I fell flat on my face, uh, worked hard, but uh, thought I was going to run the same Duke offense that Shashesky was running. And it wasn't until about 10 years later, about 2010, I started developing a fast-paced style that I played a lot of kids. Uh, we try to wear you down. We shoot a lot of threes. Um Honestly, it was about the time Steph Curry came into the NBA and I started watching the Warriors and the way they play. I loved it. Uh, I tried to adapt it for the most part to the high school level. And for the past uh, 13, 14 years, that's the way I've played. And we've had uh, very good success at the places I've been. You mentioned Krzyzewski. From afar, who'd you, besides him, who'd you idolize? You know, uh, I was a big Bobby Knight guy. I really was. Um I, I, w- I could have never played for him. Oh, my gosh, he'd have scared me to death. But I loved his motion offense. I still tell people today, I think Knight's motion offense was so far ahead of its time in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, he was doing things, you know, five guys just creating poetry and motion on the basketball court. Nobody had ever seen that. Obviously, it evolved. Um, I was a big Billy Tubbs guy. Uh, people – Every Friday night and Tuesday night, they come in and say, hey, I feel like I'm playing OU basketball in the 80s because here at Bixby, we run up and down the floor, we shoot threes, we play hard, we play fast, and we play a lot of guys. And uh, so even though obviously I was never around Tubbs, watching him from afar, uh, I just love the style. I love the Jerry Cart- 
Tarkanian style at uh, UNLV. And uh, I hear people all the time say, uh, you can't play that way today. Kids won't buy in. I just disagree with that. They'll buy into whatever you're, you're teaching them if you rep it enough. And uh, we rep fast-paced transition basketball. And uh, some of those guys, I just kind of took pieces from them and molded my own system together. Did it take you a while to feel like, okay, this is what I want my basketball teams to do in terms of tempo and pace of the game without a doubt uh you know when i when i first started this in 2009 2010 at sperry um i'd taken over a program that hadn't had a winning season in over 20 years uh, and we started implementing it and some nights we'd look good and then boy we'd look bad the next night and i had some people questioning what are you trying to do you're playing 10 guys in the first half, you're shooting too many threes, you're not going inside. The game has evolved. There's not too many Shaquille O'Neal's and Patrick Ewing's out there nowadays, but there's a lot of guys that can shoot the basketball. Um, there's also a lot of guys that will play hard at the high school level. And, the, and my system, that's what you have to do. You have to give me everything you've got as long as you have. And obviously, you've got to handle the ball, pass the ball, and shoot the ball. But I think you can win a lot of basketball games with uh, zero inside presence. Sounds like you just described uh, the movie Hoosiers and, and Gene Hackman, right? You, what are you doing, Coach? You know, you're always going to get those those critics out there. You do. And, you know, uh, my first year at uh, Sperry was my only losing season in my decade there. And I think it was more just adapting um, – to the system we were running, uh, we went on an incredible run there. And, and I had great kids and great players. I had a kid that played at OU, C.J. Cole, in 2012. He was 3A player of the year, um, Oklahoma Super 5 player. Uh, but even after he graduated, uh, he was only on one state tournament team. And we just kept going to state tournaments, running this system, running this style. And and uh, I'm hoping that, you know, maybe this year at Bixby we can, we can knock the door down and get in that state tournament at the 6A level. Before we hit the record button, you told me your, your mother, Nancy, was, was pretty tall in her own right, 5'10", right? I guess that's where you get your height from. Did she have any athletic you background? Know, my mom was not an athlete. She, she's a farmer's daughter, um, and uh, she, she is a tall lady. Uh, my dad was about six foot two, so they, I, I got blessed with a little DNA height. My uncle, her brother, uh, is about six foot eight. And then uh, my dad's uncles uh, on his side, I've got one uh, 6'10 and one 6'11, so wow. there was definitely height uh, in, in the bloodline. So you had to gravitate maybe toward toward basketball, but you played a lot of different sports growing up. What was your favorite to play? You know, I honestly I was I was probably a the best growing up a baseball player. Uh, I loved baseball. I played it from the time t-ball at age four or five. Uh, I was a really solid first baseman. Could swing the stick pretty good. I I, I, mean, I just I played so many games in the summer, and and it was a big thing to me. I loved playing athletics. Um, I'm still a big believer that kids can play football and basketball, baseball, run track at, at the 2A, 3A, through the 6A level if they want to. I'm, I believe we've, we've kind of got away from, hey, good athletes can do whatever they need to do. Let's let them do it. And um, I was one of those guys. I wanted to help my team out. Uh, I was an Owasa Ram, and when it was football season, I played. When it was basketball season, I played. I, I think I may have been the last guy that, at Owasso that uh, played a little baseball and ran track at the same time. Um, and, and honestly, if I could have played some soccer or anything else, I'd have done that too. I, I, I love competing. I, I'm still a fierce competitor to this day. Uh, but bas baseball was probably my first love. Do you feel like multi-sport – athletes develop maybe a little bit better 
than the others that specialize? I think they develop, and I think that a lot of our multi-sport athletes become less injured. I'm a big believer that when you stay in one sport, you do have more injuries because you're not using different muscles that other sports require. Uh, I've talked to uh, sports medicine people around the country um, that are a huge believer on the girls' side in that, Um, girls that just stay in volleyball or stay in basketball. There's more ACL injuries um, on record than multi-sport athletes. So I think that's something. You know, I'll never tell a kid to go do something they don't want to do, and I don't expect any other coach to do that. But I would like to see more kids play multi-sports like we did in the 80s and the 90s. One of our previous guests, obviously, uh, Bigsby Strength and Conditioning coach, Connor Myers, and we talked briefly about, you know, the Fredericksons and and how you develop in the weight room for the sport of basketball. That's sure. changed over your course of the time as a head coach. There's no doubt. I uh, I talk to Coach Myers at least once a week. Uh, he He's the best in the state, if not the best in the nation at the high school level. I mean, we are so blessed here at Bixby to have him. He wants all athletes, boys and girls, to, to be the best they can be at, at whatever sport they're in. I think uh, about 80, 85% of my, uh, my basketballers have Coach Myers at some point during the day. And I would have loved 30 years to go to head to have somebody like that. I mean, uh, there's no doubt we're having more success than a lot of people thought this year. We are stronger. We are faster. We are better athletes. And I attribute a lot of that to, to Coach Myers. All right. So you mentioned the post guys down low and how the game has evolved and changed. Do you feel like that is a little bit in terms of because of the, the training and the nutrition of these guys as you go up levels, you know, into college and then some are fortunate to go play, you know, overseas in, in the pro game or the NBA. Sure. Um, there's no doubt skill level, in my opinion, at the high school level is the best it's ever been. Um, there's more guys that can shoot the ball at a very high level, pass the ball, the Euro steps, the the moves you see every single night, especially at the 6A level, because they're training at a very, very early age. Um the the skill level right now is it's off the charts. I mean, it really is. Um I couldn't imagine in, in 1984 when I picked up a basketball for the first time. I I think when I asked for a basketball goal, my dad went to Hughes Lumber, got a piece of uh, plywood, <laughs> tacked it up on a storage shed, and that's what I shot on till high school. I mean, literally, there was no training. The training was in your backyard or, or in your yard. If you were lucky to get into a gym, that was a plus. There was, there was none of this uh, shooting or nutrition, but that's great for kids today. And uh, we're fortunate at Bixby, the majority of my guys – they do train uh, outside of the gym with a specialist. They do have good nutrition habits. We talk about that as a team, just eating better, uh, hydrating ourselves to the maximum ability that we can be, and uh, it all pays off. Or, or you're having to watch them on the sidelines on a football Friday night, like Sam McCormick, for example, who's played basketball here his entire career and football. Without a doubt, Sam's one of uh, he's one of the best dual sport athletes in the state. Um, a tremendous football player for Coach Montgomery, but uh, he's a three year starter for me. Uh, Sam is a living proof that you can walk onto the football field and. It normally takes him about a week to work into some good basketball shape. Uh, he was a little more beat up this year than the previous years, uh, just a little soreness here and there. But within uh, a week, three games, uh, he was good to go, and, and he hadn't looked back at all. Signing day has come and gone this week, and uh, you had uh, one guy and maybe a couple more later on down the road that will commit to play college basketball. But uh, Luke Fredrickson is going to play at Kansas Wesleyan, NAIA school yep. up in Salina, Kansas, and 
that always probably is a, a pretty cool moment for the head coach when you see a kid go through your program and reach a goal that he wants to play college hoops. Without a doubt. Uh, one of the coolest things about this year for me is these seniors, and we've got 10 of them for senior night tomorrow night. Uh, when I got here at Bixby, they were eighth graders, and I coached them in eighth grade. And so I've seen them go all the way through. And when I look at Luke uh, f- from eighth grade to now, I, I laugh at at the tremendous growth he is uh, he has had on the court. I mean, he, I simply think he's one of the best shooters in Oklahoma. Um, he's going to be a great fit at the NAIA level and see him succeed yeah you couldn't be prouder than signing day how much credit do you take for a guy like Parker Fredrickson already making an impact the highest level in one of the best basketball conferences in the country Wake Forest ACC you know I uh, I talk to Parker about once a week sometimes more uh, so he's asked me coach what am I doing good what am I doing bad and then sometimes I'll just say hey man you lit it up tonight you look like you're playing with a swagger um, what I tell people all the time I will never take credit for Parker Fredrickson's shot his shot is it's as good as anybody's in the country at any level what I do take pride in is putting Parker in situations to succeed um, playing in our system it was a beautiful perfect fit um he could have played in any system in the state of Oklahoma playing in ours where you get more volume shots where you get out in space and run in transition it was a match made in heaven uh he left his mark on Bixby basketball and it'll it'll be forever left he there's been three guys score 2,000 points in Oklahoma at the 6a level Parker Fredrickson's one of those the other two are playing in the NBA Trey Young and Shake Milton so that's that's pretty uh pretty high accomplished so what is he expect you to watch his games every time Wake Forest plays or, or just like highlights, replays? You know, uh, I, I've been a Wake Forest fan, obviously, and I, I think I've missed one or two that they've played on nights we've played. But, uh, no, we text back and forth or, or we talk on the phone, uh, like I said, about once a week. And and uh, he'll, he'll ask me, Coach, what do you think? Early in the season, he got off a little bit slow. And I think just like any freshman that's, that's playing Power 5 basketball or football, there's growing curves there. And, and he had a couple of weeks where he was a little bit down and out. And, and what I did is just pep talk him a little bit since that time man he's he's playing off the charts he's playing 20 minutes a game averaging six points for him and they're about to break into the top 25 this next week yeah, and shooting the three at a high percentage he's, like you'd expect from him he's he's uh for freshman uh he's the second highest three-point shooter in the nation uh, behind a kid out of kentucky that's considered a five-star lottery pick uh so what parker's doing at wake doesn't surprise me at all the game though is super different from this level here at Bixby High School, to the ACC, to Wake Forest. Yep. So you'd expect a little bit of transition for a guy like that. Yeah, you know, he's he's an 18-year-old kid turning 19, and uh, just the strength factor, Just you're playing against 22-year-old men. And so um, I don't think people realize the level of – strength and the speed level at the next at the power five in the ACC it's off the charts so anybody's going to have a growth uh, curve there Parker had his I only expect even bigger and better things moving forward through his career okay so you coach basketball boys basketball here at Bixby as as uh, most listening know but uh, you you have had some experience coaching other sports you did a stint too in in girls basketball coaching your twin daughters what was that like you know uh i uh I was let go at Sperry in 2017, so I had to make a decision what am I going to do I had daughters at Sperry that were uh, sophomores and we came home one night and we had a family meeting and they asked my wife was in on it and said uh, why don't you coach us the next couple of years and 
I thought about it and I went back and forth. And, and when your daughters ask you something like that, you're, you're going to jump on the opportunity. And, and I was able to uh, go down to Hildale High School in Muskogee, for a school down there. Um, and I coached them for two years. I absolutely loved coaching my daughters. We had good success uh, for a 4A school. We made the area tournament, couldn't, couldn't crack the door on the state tournament. But I loved every minute of it. And we had a rule. We don't talk about the game on the way home. It was a, I live in Coweta, and it was a 30, 40-minute drive down to Hilldale. We didn't talk about those things. I enjoyed coaching my daughters. I enjoyed coaching the other ladies on that team. I was, I am not a girls basketball coach. The style I like to play, the tempo I run, uh, the long diagonal passes that you have to make to be successful playing it. Girls simply weren't able to make that 70 foot diagonal pass like a guy is able to. And so I struggled in some things with the press. Uh, the day they, uh, their season ended, I walked in and, uh, resigned from my position and, and told my administration, I'm, I'm going back to the boys side and, and have no nothing but good things to say about my time at Hilldale. So coaching your, your daughters, yes, you saw them growing up and playing sports and basketball specifically, but did you have to rein yourself in the sidelines a little bit and put a different hat on, tell yourself, remind yourself, I'm, I'm their coach, I'm not their father? I think one of the hardest things to do is coaching. I think something that's harder to do than that is coaching your own kids. Uh, I loved every minute of it, but it is hard. Um, I don't care what sport it is. You're going to hear criticism on nights they don't do well. Um, on nights they do well, hey, everything's great. But on nights they don't, just like all players go through the, some rough patches, it's that much harder. What it did do is bring our relationship, our father-daughter relationship, and our coach-player relationship even better. Um, I never took anything out on them. I, I never felt like I cheated any other kid playing my playing my daughters. Um if they were good enough to play, they stayed on the floor. On nights they weren't, somebody else took that spot. Uh, what I can say about my daughters is when they weren't on the floor, they were the biggest cheerleaders on the team. And I think that was something my wife and I instilled at them at an early age. Is that why you love basketball so much, the the family aspect, the group nature of it? Uh, basketball is the ultimate team sport, I think. Uh, Five guys or five girls can play, but you have to have a bench full of people accepting their role. Somebody's got to accept I've got to be the defender. Somebody's got to accept I come in and I shoot three. Somebody's got to be a towel waver on that floor. Um, the cheerleader, we have them here at Bixby. Um, it's a culture. You have to develop a culture of kids that are buying into their roles, and it is truly a family atmosphere, and that's why I, I absolutely love it to death. Take that a, a step further in terms of the overarching Bigsby culture because football has done well now for for a decade consistently mm -hmm. in terms of state championships how do you feel that's bled to the other parts of the school community and more specifically other sports including there, yours there's no doubt the culture that uh, coach Montgomery and his staff has brought here has bled over into all coaching I I, I I've picked Lauren's brain many times over the five years I've been here um, and many of his assistants on what are you guys doing behind the scenes that people don't see that maybe I need to use in my program or maybe it's not good for my program. It doesn't fit. And so I have stolen some things from the football program, and I think it's helped us on the basketball side. What I love about the Bixby 
culture is even though we're in 6A and we're one of the, we may be the fastest growing school in the state, we have an incredible small school atmosphere when it comes to athletics. Um, People attend our softball games, they attend our football games, our basketball, our baseball games, wrestling matches are off the charts here, and coaches support each other like they do in a small school. I've spent the majority of my career at the small school level. Bixby is, is different from I'll throw it out there, some of the other larger schools in that I don't think their coaches care as much about other programs. Here at Bixby, I don't get that. We support one another. Um, I get text messages after big wins from every coach on staff, and I send those out when those guys get big wins. 300th career victory. That came for you on the varsity level as a head coach here a few weeks ago. Did that – Did that? Uh... Did that say anything to you or just that longevity has, you know, some some kind of reward at the end? Barry Lewis from Tulsa World asked me, uh, we got that 300th victory, and he, he called me and he said, uh, what do you think? And uh, I said, Barry, it means I've done it a long time and I've had really good players. Um, it does speak for uh, staying in longevity-wise. Um, it's I'm not an individual accomplishment guy. I never have. It's, it's not my MO. Uh, but it's something that I think when I look back, whether I do this another six, seven years or another 10 or 12 years, I don't know. I'm having a great time. My health's good. Um, but I think I'll probably appreciate it more at the end of my career than I do right now. The game seems to always be evolving, but sometimes at a slow pace. Um, the big man, like we had already yep. mentioned, it has not really totally been phased out, but it, it might be headed there soon enough. Uh, do you anticipate the game changing in a myriad of ways here shortly again, or are we at the point where – like? It's a wing game, and, and the best guard-heavy teams are usually going to win tournaments, state, high school level, or NCAA March Madness, or you know, in the NBA playoffs. You better have good guard play nowadays. I don't care what level of basketball it is. You've got to have good guard play. I don't know how much it'll change. I do think skill-wise kids are getting better and better, so I think you're going to continue to see deeper shots than you've ever seen before. Um, when when I played in the NBA or when the three-point line first came out in the 80s, I was like, man, nobody's going to be shooting very many. And now they've moved it back in college because people shoot such a high percentage. You look at the NBA, maybe they'll move the line back. I mean, we've got we've got guys in the NBA shooting half court shots like they're free throws now. And, and you're seeing college seven, uh, I'm sorry, you're seeing high school seventh or eighth graders knocking down seven or eight threes in the game. I think the change is the skill development at the early level, but I would still love to have that six foot eight, three hundred pound guy that can move, move in, th- throw him in the paint, and let him get active. Because if you got the great guard play and the good post or the great post, man, you're going to be tough to stop. Put your fan hat on. Do you have a specific level like that's your favorite of the sport? Like some folks who watch college basketball ad nauseum won't watch NBA or vice versa like I find myself enjoying all levels my uh, my assistant coaches absolutely love college basketball and they hate watching the NBA till the playoffs I'm an NBA junkie I'll go home tonight and there'll be a West Coast game on and I'll stay up till midnight watching the Clippers and the Jazz uh, I think the greatest athletes in my opinion in the world are NBA basketball players I think they are the few guys that could go on the, go and play in the NFL as a receiver they could probably track and field wise do damage I simply think the NBA is the greatest athletes in the world and to watch them 
up close. If you've ever been to a Thunder game, it's something to see. I mean, they're so big, so athletic, with such skill level, it, it you scratch your head at it. So I, I'm a huge NBA fan. In my opinion, college basketball, I think coaches are overcoaching nowadays. I don't like watching a 50 to 42 college basketball game. Um, like I said, I grew up a kid of the 80s and 90s watching Billy Tubbs and Jerry Tarkanian put 125, 150 on people. That's the brand of style I like. Um, and you get that at the NBA level. All right. So, NBA, do you have a, a favorite team, favorite player currently or, or back in? The day, or I—I I was an MJ guy. I was a Chicago Bulls guy. Jordan's the goat. There's no, there's no comparison. When I hear that, I laugh. Uh, but I do. I'm a big OKC Thunder fan. I, I love their team concept for the Thunder. Uh, there's so much individualism in the NBA. The Thunder do have a team. They play good team defense. I love uh, SGA's game. He's he's going to be incredible when I when I see that he's 23, 24 years old. I just shake my head. Uh, but I'm a Curry guy. I love Curry and I love Trey Young. I, I think skill wise, there's not been very many like him ever play. I guess when he started coming on, you know, after some early ankle injuries to begin his Warrior career, and he's hitting all those shots from 30, 35 feet yep. away three-point jumpers that, like you said, look like free throws or layups in some cases yep. with him. People are like, well, not everybody can do that. Don't teach kids to do that. You, nobody's going to be able to make it consistently from, from that deep out. But like you mentioned, the game is, it has, has gone to where that is a heavy part of most levels. You know, If you can't shoot jump shots, especially from three, you're not going to be a consistent winner. It's uh, the game has changed. He he has changed the game. He's changed it at all levels, um, and you're not going to emulate Curry. And I do think there's too many young kids trying to develop a step back before they can shoot a true jump shot. But there are skill level kids at an early age that are going to wow us ten years from now. That that it, were influenced by Curry, just like they were influenced by Jordan, just like they were influenced by Bird or Doctor J before them. Uh, Curry has just changed the game to a new shooting level. Um, everybody wants to be a shooter. Even you're now seeing you're seeing kids in high school that are six foot eight, six foot nine, stepping out, knocking down the three. Uh, nobody wants to post up back to the basket anymore. Uh, and I think that starts at about the six, seven, eight year old level. So if they haven't done it at the early age, boy, it's it's uh, tough at the high school level to to get them to get in there and mix it up. You've been uh, married to your wife Lisa for twenty seven years. She a basketball fan? I hope so. Uh, she's had to be. Uh, she's she's a coach's dream, and uh, I think the hardest uh, job for a spouse is being a coach's wife because you do hear the good, you hear the bad. You've got to keep your mouth shut when you hear the bad and uh, move on. And, and she's been awesome. She's been my biggest fan since I got into this profession. Um, I met her in college. She was a college track athlete. And um, we hit it off, uh, started dating when I took my first uh, – coaching job in Putnam City in 1997 uh, she was by my side and now in 2024 uh, she rarely misses a game we discussed your your coaching background and, and the sports you've coached we, we did touch on the girls basketball but volleyball stint in your in your career in your background that's on your resume 
Um, yeah, around 2012, 13, 14, in that range, uh, my athletic director, uh, Mike Haney at Sperry came to me and said, Hey, we're adding a volleyball program and you're coaching it because you're the only coach that's not doing anything in the uh, fall. And I said, Haney, I don't know anything about volleyball. And, <laughs> and he said, well, you better get a rule book and, uh, pass the rule test because you're now our girls volleyball coach. And, uh, it was fun. Uh, the, the girls there, uh, I don't know how much instruction they got, but they played hard, and we had a good time. We won a few matches, um, and I actually uh, learned to, to to love the sport of volleyball. I love watching it in the Olympics. I can promise you, with Coach Kite coaching it, we weren't real high level, uh, but it was it was something different. And and sometimes, especially at your small schools, you do have to step in for several years and and coach sports that you're not familiar with. Okay, so when you are coaching a kid, let's say here at at Bixby or even previous at Sperry, and there is college interest in them. What, you know, doesn't matter what level. Uh, how do you advise a coach or a, a player to handle that in dealing with coaches that are trying to recruit them? You know, it's harder and harder every year. Uh, recruiting is, is such a crazy thing for kids and their parents uh, to navigate nowadays. Uh, the portals changed everything. Uh, uh, every coach I've talked to, and we had, I think we had 60-something Division One coaches in our gym watching Parker at some point during his career, and everybody, I, every one of them said, man, before the portal, this was easy. Now, do I take the 18-year-old kid and take a chance, or do I go get a 21-year-old established uh, man? And, uh, you know, when I, I spoke with a college coach today on the phone uh, about one of our players, and, you know, I always uh, – let the parent know right off the bat who I've spoke with. Um, I'll shoot them a text or I'll, I'll give them a call. Um, I talk with the player and, and I tell them, I want you to play at the next level, but you are in high school and you can't let that affect your team play. I think, uh, man, just society on teenagers today is tough. Now throw in recruiting. Now throw in you're in the middle of your season. That's tough to navigate. The best way is just open communication with the player and the parent. Um, I, I've had zero issues with it, uh, but it is crazy. I, I'm glad I don't have to navigate that as a parent nowadays or a player. So do you feel like – similar to football, basketball has been affected by the extra COVID year, yep. the ability to now maybe transfer more than once, depending on waiver situations with any given given player uh, collegiately. That's hurt the number of high school kids that are being taken in college there, programs, maybe at the higher levels, I guess. There is no doubt. Uh, where a college Division One basketball team used to sign four guys, three or four high school players, they might sign one. NAIA might sign four or five or six guys. They're now getting guys that are dropping down. I talked to an NAIA coach today that has an open scholarship because his best player is going Division One. He's going to enter the portal and play Division One, and so it's it's a shakeup all the way down to the JUCO level. Uh, I was talking with the Connor State coach um, back at Christmas, and one of their best players is a Division One transfer from last year, and so it's limiting the amount of. Uh, I can't speak for football or baseball. I haven't looked into that much but on the basketball side it's absolutely affecting the amount of scholarship offers for high school kids yeah and that's you know to me when it's what we've always known that you know once you're a recruitable student athlete sophomore year let's say junior year you have your sights set on i'm gonna play yes. this sport because i'm getting a lot of interest and in college whatever it is basketball football is an option for me 
Uh, there's no doubt. Like I said, it's it's completely changed. I think this is the last year of the COVID sixth year, uh, so I think that will open up some new opportunities. But the last couple of years has been crazy, and who knows moving forward what the NCAA will do uh, with with this ruling. Okay, you have you have other interests besides besides basketball. Um, stick in the in the sports realm, sports memorabilia. You uh you collect a little bit. What what uh what do you have? What are some of the best oh man items I'll find walking through your house that might have a high price tag on? I yeah uh, I've got way too much sports memorabilia. My wife uh, gets mad at me when I bring some stuff home, and then she really gets mad when she asks what I paid for it. Uh, I've got some great memorabilia. Like I said, I'm St. Louis Cardinal fan, so I've got uh, I've got uh, signed baseballs from their World Series in the '60s, um, all of the ones in the '80s. Um, I've got jerseys that are signed uh, in my office. I've got a uh, I've got a Chicago Bulls hat that's got everybody but MJ on it. Um, yeah, I know that that's the big piece right He's there. He's still but, out there. I know. If I could find him sometime, uh, I'm a big Kobe Bryant collector. I've got I've got uh, so many Kobe autographs and memorabilia of Kobe. Um, I've got some Kobe and Shaq uh, signed stuff. Um, and I'm not a big Lakers fan, but I was a big Kobe and Shaq guy. Um, I've got Bob Gibson, Stan Musial, Lou Brock, Bat. Um, I've got a pretty nice collection, and I've I've got just boxing, some Muhammad Ali gloves. Uh, I, I'm just a well-rounded sports memorabilia. You got some Tiger Woods stuff. Uh, WWE. I've got Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair signed boots and a robe, and so yeah. Hopefully, one of these days. Uh, I may on my Instagram page or something show show off a little bit of uh, my sports memorabilia. I'm a big UFC guy. Um, got some Conor McGregor, uh, Iceman Chuck Liddell, just well-rounded in the sports memorabilia. Have you been to see the new movie, The Von Erichs, The Iron uh, Claw? You know, I wanted to go. When it came out, we were in a tournament, and uh, that's that's on my bucket list over the next few weeks. I'm hoping it hits Amazon Prime, and uh, I'll probably watch it at, at home. But, uh, no, I'm a, I'm a big pro wrestling guy, man. I love of a little Monday Night Raw, and uh, I've I've been to two WrestleManias now. Wow! And uh, just just a lover of all kinds of sports, or I guess sports reality, you could call it with that. So you you grew up watching pro wrestling. I would I would venture. Oh yeah, to say. My, yeah. My dad was taking me down to the fairgrounds. Uh, we were getting steel chairs thrown at us when I was eight, nine, ten years <laughs> old. Man, uh, I can remember some of the old Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Andre the Giant coming through Tulsa, and, and uh, that that's some great childhood memories right there. There are a lot of St. Louis Cardinal baseball fans in Oklahoma, but how'd that come about for you? You know, just uh, from the earliest, when I was playing T-ball, I think my first team name was the Cardinals, and it was obviously because of St. Louis. My dad and my grandfather was coaching it. My grandfather had been going to St. Louis games since the 1940s. Uh, my dad grew up in the 60s going to them, and then uh, my first game, my first ball game was game six of the 1982 World Series against the Brewers, and, and I was hooked from there. Uh, I take my daughters, I take my wife. They've turned into St. Louis Cardinal fans. Uh, it's been forced on them, I'm not going to lie, but uh, <laughs> we, we've, we've taken very vacations there uh, I, I just love the city of st louis i love bush stadium and what they've done with the the ball 
Park Village. It's it's one of the best in in the United States. Yeah, if we're not here to pass fandom down to our to our children, what are we what are we doing here? <laughs> There's no doubt they uh, they come home from work sometimes and uh, they'll walk in the house and say, Dad, why are you watching the Cardinals at four thirty? I'm like, Hey, it's it's so and so. It's the Cubs game or it's the Brewers game, and we're in first place. And they're like, Dad, they've played four games this season, and uh, I I don't miss too many of those 162 games. You sound like you're just an equal opportunity sports fan when it comes to you like your seasons as I like to say I do I uh, you know it's it's crazy the least sport I watch is probably NFL uh, I'll watch the Super Bowl this Sunday I, I really don't have a rooting interest I just hope it's a good game um, I'll be honest um, Daytona 500 is the following weekend I'm more stoked on that than I am the Super Bowl I'm a big NASCAR guy um, I, I just love watching uh, watching people compete man I I'm a huge un- a UFC boxing fan uh, I, I just think anybody that that can step in the ring and and do what those guys do, man, I've got a whole respect for wrestlers and boxers. They they may be a little off the charts uh, to what I want to do, but man, I love watching them fired in there. You also mentioned to me that uh, you love to fish. I do. I uh, I grew up. Uh, from my my earliest childhood memories is is fishing at uh, on the Illinois River or at uh, Lake Hudson or Fort Gibson Lake. Um, I, I, it's my getaway. It's it's my relief valve. Uh, probably one of the things I'm going to miss most this spring about my father who passed away last June is is our fishing trips on Fort Gibson Lake. We have a dock down there, uh, and we crappie fished right after basketball season on spring break. Uh, that'll be a little difficult this year. Um, my best memories uh, growing up are on a lake. Uh, my, I've taught my daughters how to fish. My wife enjoys it. It's my getaway. When I retire, whether, like I said, I can retire in six years. If my health's good, I'd like to go another decade or so. Uh, but I want to retire on a lake and uh, spend my final days, however many that is, fishing in a pontoon boat. Whether that I'm a lazy man's fisherman. I don't bass fish. I like to crappie and catfish and troll for sand bass. But, but that's my getaway. That's my peaceful moment. What's been your best catch? Um, I started snagging spoonbill many years ago, and uh, we were on Fort Gibson several years ago. It was my wife. I'm sorry, it was me and my two daughters, and I snagged an 80 pound spoonbill. And uh, that thing, I'm six foot six, and he was ever bit as big as I was. Um, And it's amazing how good eating spoonbill are. People think, oh, they're that big, and they're bottom feeders. They're pure white meat. They're all cartilage. There's no bones in them. Uh, and, And I can cook up some spoonbill, man. Well, all right, what are the best fish then that you, you pull out of a, any given lake that you, you're going to cook you want to eat? Uh, crappie, hands down. Uh, crappie are the best. Every now and then if you can get some walleye, there's not a whole lot of them in eastern Oklahoma. If you can get some walleye, that's top notch, man. That's that's like eating a big-time ribeye steak uh, on the fish side of things. But, but crappie are definitely my favorite. They're the best. Do you consider yourself because of – the various sports you took part in, the interests growing up as a as a kid in in the Tulsa area, northeast Oklahoma, like a typical Oklahoman. There's no doubt. I've I've traveled the country uh, through vacations and athletic events, and and I, there's no other place I would want to be than Oklahoma. Now in the summer we go for about eight to ten days to the Florida beaches. Um, 
around the Destin area, Fort Walton area, uh, and I enjoy my week or two down there, but it's a little too hectic for me. I like coming back to an Oklahoma lake or, or a pond, and uh, I love Oklahoma sunsets. I, I love non-traffic. Uh, this is the perfect place. I think the people here in Oklahoma are some of the most respectful in the world. They're high-character people. Um, not saying they're not in other places, but there's nothing like being around Okies. As your coaching career has evolved, I guess, what do you find yourself having to do more self-motivation to get up for each season that passes or each month that comes in the middle of a season, let's say? You know, do you the, still have that same kind of drive and passion you had in your first year as a head coach? I, uh, I, I just turned 50 in October, and I think I have more drive now than I've had in probably 20 years. Um, I want so badly to get Bixby basketball a state championship. It drives me every single day. Uh, we have tremendous kids at Bixby. They, I don't walk home, or I don't drive home, I should say, ever and feel like we didn't give our best effort. When we get beat, it's because the other team was simply better than us or we just missed a few too many shots. has nothing to do with attitude or effort. And when you come to practice and you're around those type of uh, young men every day, the drive uh, is easy. The fire in the belly is as much as it's ever been. Uh, my goal before I get out of here uh, and call it a career is, is to win a state title for Bixby basketball. It's never been done. I don't think they've been to the state tournament now in 12 years. And and that's our driving force every single day. How much influence do you feel like the NBA coming to Oklahoma has had on the rest of the state? It's always been, I think, really good high school, college, hotbed because of the different levels of programs here. You have your Division ones, your Division twos, your NAIs, a lot of JUCO programs. But when the Thunder arrived in 08, do you feel like there was maybe a change in how – the sport was seen in Oklahoma? I think uh, I think Oklahoma is always going to be a football state, and that's great. I have zero problem. I think too many basketball coaches, they get mad about that or they're jealous of it. I embrace it. I, I embrace what Bixby football's done here. If you can't have respect for that, I, I don't know what you have respect for. But I do think the Thunder has brought a new wave of young kids into the basketball realm that may have not been. They they want to emulate the Russell Westbrooks, the Kevin Durants that they saw growing up. Uh, now it's the SGAs or the Lou Dortz or whoever it may be. Um, and I do think it's brought so much more interest uh, that it doesn't take too many kids to uh, buy into, hey, I'm going to work at an earlier age than what I might have had the Thunder not arrived. So it's definitely made a uh, impact. I see more kids playing basketball and more excitement about Oklahoma high school basketball today than I saw 26 years ago when I started. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of folks younger than you and I don't remember that guys like Abe Lemons coached in this state. Abe Lemons. I mean, that's as Eddie, good as it gets. Eddie Sutton. I mean, yeah. these kids today, and, and I age myself many times uh, when I start talking about and Eddie Sutton final four OSU and these guys are like, coach, we weren't born. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. And they don't even know who Abe Lemons is a great, right. tremendous coach. Any coach above the age of 60 would tell you one of the best to ever live. And, uh, so the thunder have just brought a new 
basketball knowledge to the state that, you know, had they never arrived, I don't know if we'd be here in Oklahoma with the excitement that we have for basketball. What makes you excited about coming to Bixby schools every day? Just our student athletes, our our student athletes, our administration, and our coaches—they're top notch. I've I've been in several school school districts over twenty six years, and I can truly say the atmosphere at Bixby—it is different. And I hear that all the time. They say Bixby's different. Bixby kids are different. They are. They're top notch students, and they're also top notch athletes that give you everything they've got. The girls and the boys, the soccer program, the tennis program, the basketball, the football—they're all in the weight room together. They're training, trying to get better. I think it rubs off, and I think we've hit on something special here at Bixby that very few high schools around the country have. A lot of really good 6A boys basketball teams out there. Best of luck in your uh, final month, I guess, now of the of the season, uh, winding down and, and on into the to the postseason. I, I, I'm super excited. We got two regular season games left, and we get a week off to kind of get healthy and, and get prepared for the playoffs. These new districts in the playoffs, we're going to know exactly who our opponents are moving forward. Right now we're sitting at third in the district. If we win tomorrow night and we beat Broken Air uh, Tuesday night, we can jump to second, host home court. That's, that's what we're really crossing our fingers for. Uh, but it's going to be a great playoff atmosphere in Oklahoma with the districts uh, for the first time ever at the 6A level. I'm super excited about it. Yeah, you, you probably wanted that to happen for several years. Two thumbs up then on the change. I, I don't know of any 6A coach that doesn't like the districts. Uh, these, these games matter. I hated ranking somebody in the west side that I've never seen. It yeah. wasn't fair to their student athletes. It wasn't fair to their coaches. And uh, we finally have got it right, no doubt. Really appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate it. It's been awesome and uh, best of luck moving forward.